Welcome to another edition of What's Next, and it's great to welcome a good friend of mine who I've been, uh, you know, engaging with for a very, very long time in the industry, none other than Colin Erasmus, who is the Modern Workplace Business Group Lead at Microsoft South Africa. Colin, it's really good to see you. Uh, we're doing things digitally. I normally see you in person, and now it's via Teams. This is the new way of doing business and communicating, I guess, until COVID-19 kind of beds down and... and uh, uh, you know, the vaccine comes and uh, we can resume normal operations. 100%. Okay, good to see you as well, man. It's uh, it's virtually. I'm hoping we can share a coffee shortly, but uh, good to see you as well, man. And yes, I mean, life has changed for us quite drastically. You know, we all talk about the new normal, you know, with level one now. So it's going to be interesting to see how uh, how things get back in the next couple of weeks, eh? Well, listen, it will be very interesting, but you've got a very interesting job at Microsoft. And I've actually been, you know, watching Teams grow with a great deal of fascination. You know, I think it was when it first launched, you could have four people on one screen and then it went to nine people and then it's just growing and growing and growing. And there's been extraordinary growth since March and uh, the Microsoft team have done amazing stuff to the product itself. But you've got a very interesting role. I mean, information protection and compliance. I mean, this is such a key, important role here. When you look at where we're operating right now, everybody's working remotely, uh, companies have been exposed, and I think privacy and security, those are kind of the Achilles heel that many people are missing during this lockdown people lockdown period where people are working remotely. Can you tell us a little bit about that, Colin? Sure, Kia. I think maybe let's start with the environment because I think you're 100% correct. You know, if you go back, I mean, you and I are old hats in this IT world now. Don't want to call us old, but, uh, you know, we go back 10 years ago, 15 years ago, even five years ago. You know, our, our networks were fairly well defined, right? We knew where our employees were. We knew where our assets were. They were, we were in, within a network and we knew how to protect it. You know, DMZs and firewalls and all this, all this good stuff. But, yes. you know, especially with remote work now, you know, what is a network? You know, what what are our assets? You know, can you define, define an employee? You know, you take a look at uh, vendors that we now give access to into into our um, apps that we have and the data that we have, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it has changed massively. That whole environment has changed in such a big way that we do need to reimagine and rethink what security looks like in this new world, in this new paradigm. And I think that's what, what makes it interesting. We're reimagining it. And as you can imagine, you know, with AI, with machine learning, securities gain massively from those sorts of approaches. Because, you know, like if you think about the attacks that are happening on a daily basis, you know, there's hundreds, there's millions of these th sorts of things. And you can't sit anymore and sift through these things yourself as a, as a human being. We now have machine learning that's taking a look at all of this stuff. You know, in fact, Microsoft, we, we, we call this thing Microsoft Graph, where we're, getting a, where we're getting all these inputs and signals on a daily basis, intelligently looking at them with machine learning and AI, and then saying to our customers, hey, there's something potentially coming. You can protect yourself without having to do things like potentially a patch or an upgrade to an antivirus or an endpoint product. And I think that yeah. really is where security is going and what's making it so interesting. Well, I mean, let's let, let's 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 unpack that a bit because you know we, we can talk about it, and you know the, 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 some of the stuff we talk are are the obvious things, but many organisations still don't see that. And you say that there are constant attacks. Uh, people are working remotely. 
that organizations are now more vulnerable than they were before the lockdown period. That's the reality, right? Um, so what are those major challenges that these organizations are facing when it comes to the information protection and compliance, for example? Uh, what are those challenges? Let's unpack those challenges. Sure. So let, let's have a look. I think we've spoken about one or two of them already. I think the first yes. one that you have, Aki, is, is that the networks have changed, right? We, we don't really know anymore where that network boundary is and, and isn't. The, right. the next major challenge, and I'll speak about the maybe security in these four ways because I think it, it will talk about it, right? So I think the first one we want to look at is identity, identity and access management. So I think the challenge that you have around identity there is that your identity is now everywhere, right? So we now have applications that sit on our premises or not on our premises. We have potentially, we potentially have vendors and clients connecting to our infrastructure and our data anymore, which in the past we used to protect in a very cert certain manner. So identity and access management for me is critical and it's critical that your identity actually sits in the cloud now, if you think about it, right? Because right. we're in the cloud, our data is in the cloud. I think that's critical. So that's the first bit and the first major challenge I think guys have. The second one I like to talk about, for instance, is threat protection or threat management. We yes. spoke a little bit about that as well, but you, you think about all these threats coming in. And Aki, I've spoken to a lot of CISOs in the country and the guys are going, Colin, we just can't manage anymore with all this stuff coming in. We need a different way of looking at security. We, we need AI, we need intelligence security, um, help us with it. And that's where something like Microsoft Graph comes in as an example, where we as Microsoft co are collecting all these inputs um, and then going back out to our customers saying, hey, there's potentially something going on, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think threat protection, that 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 mass is critical and one of the major challenges that we have. And then information protection, Aki, and we can talk a little bit about Papia here in a second, but information protection, if, if, if you and I think about what these hackers or these criminals are after, they're after data. That, yes. that at the end of the day is what we're trying to protect. So I think information protection becomes absolutely key. Uh, how do we protect our information? So let's say identity gets compromised for whatever reason. Um, we now want to protect our data if that has been compromised. That means things like classifying our data, um, applying certain technologies to our data, you know, whether that's encryption or labeling them or whatever it is. Um, I think that's that's critical and we'll maybe get a little bit more into that in, in the discussion late, later, but I think information protection is key. And then the last one I want to talk about is cloud security, right? Because if you think about it as well, in most organizations, the stats now say that 95% of customers have now adopted cloud in some way, shape or form, either hybrid, um, they're in multiple clouds, you know, not just yeah. in Microsoft's cloud or whatever it is. So how do we protect across the clouds um, with all of that? So cloud security, I think, is critical. So I think that's the way I like to think about it, Aki, on those, in those four broad strokes, you know, and, yes. and each one of those will have a lot more detail underneath it. Well, I mean, I mean as you're talking now, it's just extraordinary the amount of data we're now creating, you know, versus what we were creating before March, now it's like just been, uh, it's like enormous, right? And it's all happening in the cloud. And you really have, have painted a very interesting picture over there. And I'm glad you touched on Popia and Papia as we now know it, because that is like like serious, serious stuff. And 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 if I'm not mistaken, the Popia uh, Act came into law during the lockdown. I think it was June or July. Um, and it has serious implications for organizations. We've already seen a few data breaches that have happened. Let's just unpack Popia. What does it mean to for organizations and the implications of um, of organizations not having the right infrastructure in place and they have some kind of a breach? It's very, very serious. 
Yeah. So, Aki, you're spot on. So, look, Papia or Poppy, however you want to say it, has been with us for quite some, some time, right? Um, yes. You know, we've been hearing about this, but I think what was significant was on July, well, in July 2020, the president proclaimed this finally. And essentially what happened is when he proclaimed it, he gave organizations 12 months um, to comply. So he basically said to us, look, you guys have got 12 months to comply. After the 12 months, the data regulator is going to start stepping in and checking whether you guys are complying. Now, that was in July. We're three months down the, down the track already, believe it or not, which means we essentially got about nine months left from a compliance point of view. And, and remember what Papier does is it now places the owners back on the organization to make sure that we are, for instance, collecting data in the right way, we're storing it in the right way, we are processing it in the right way. And that really is what it is. Papier is now, now going to make companies responsible for the way they collect the data, the way they use the data, and the way they process the data. Nine months left. Uh, data regulators in place. In fact, we've had some fantastic discussion with the data regulator. They're there to help us, which is great news. Um, but yes, to your point, and, and then maybe I guess if we touch on that, and we touch on data. You know, if we look at some of the research, a lot of organizations are saying to us, you know, we don't think we're quite ready yet. We we sort of understand what we need to do. You know, and we have stats like you know. Customers are saying to us that over 80% of their data potentially is dark. Now, what do I mean by that? It means that one, unclassified. They, they don't know where, where, where it is 100%. Uh, they don't know if they need it or, or it's been used correctly. And I've always said at Microsoft um, to my marketing teams, if we don't need a certain piece of data, don't collect the piece of data as an example, and let's make sure we're using it in the right way. So, so yes, 100%, Aki. Um, there's some interesting challenges coming. Um, I think we, we've got good backing, but uh, we need to crack on and get some of this done now. Well, and, I mean, that's the question. I'm an organization. I'm listening to you talking, and I'm thinking, my gosh, do we have our ducks in a row? What do we need to start? Where do, what do we need to do? How do we become compliant? Um, I mean, wh what kind of solutions do you have that can help me as an organization? What strategies should I be deploying so that I am compliant and I don't get in trouble in the next nine months? So a couple of things and a couple of practical things for me, and then I'm going to end with the three things that I think uh, customers should think about uh, a, yeah. a little bit more broadly. Um, so I think the first thing and the question to ask yourself is exactly what we said. Where is my critical data? Where is my sensitive data? And where does it reside? Uh, I think that's a critical question to ask yourself, and you need to look broadly, right? Because, you know, the stats suggest, for instance, that um, – most people today are using over five to six different types of applications on a daily basis, right? Um, those applications may not be my own applications. They may be shared applications with partners, with other customers. So you need to think right. a little bit broader. You need to think about who's processing your data for you on your behalf potentially as well. So that's critical. Um, the second thing I think you need to think about is now how, how do you want to protect that, right? Um, how's that data traveling? Where does it travel? And how do we protect it? Um, and then the third thing, I think, to your point, we need to have a look at what solutions we, we are potentially using. Now, the way I like to wrap that up, Aki, is in, is in three sort of bits of terminology. The one is know your data. So exactly the discussion we had. So where's your data? The next one is protect your data. Um, what technologies are you going to employ to protect your data? And the third one is govern your data. Um, and by govern your data, it mustn't just be a policy. It actually has to be something that is actionable. You know, quite yes. often we put a lot of great policies and governance uh, structures in place, but there's no action behind that. Now, that for me is where we sometimes come and stuck. We've got to make sure that those things are actionable and are automated in many instances. You know, yeah. data retention as an example. And, you know, the important thing that you're touching on here, Colin, is that 
I mean, when you hear of the Papier Act, you know, think people think, oh, it's just the banks, big insurance companies, everybody, you know, small, medium enterprises, get your ducks in a row. And here's the thing. You cannot even think about leaving it three months before this period is over because that's too short. You've got to start doing it now because you cannot do this process and become compliant in three months before this, uh, you know, the the, the 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 12 months is over that the president has proclaimed. 100% agree. And, and like if you think about it, um, if you think about industries and you think about who collects certain types of data, uh, I think the financial service industry is actually most probably slightly ahead, right? Because of the type yes. of sensitive data that they collect. They've been thinking about this for quite some time. Um, you know, if you think about it, there's actually a very interesting ISO standard, ISO 77001, which actually a lot of organizations have thought and looked about, and that's been an ISO standard for quite some time, which talks about um, governance structures that you need to put in place around data. So some guys have actually done a, a great job there already, maybe just need to marry Papier now yes. to what they've been doing. Um, but you think about other organizations, uh, healthcare, healthcare industry, these guys got very sensitive information, right? So I think there's some industries that are obviously gonna, they're gonna be hit harder because of the data that they have. But to your point, everybody needs to look at this. You know, we all have data, we all have data sitting everywhere. And, and the other point that I wanna make, Aki, and I think this has really led to some of these governance structures, same thing, if you go back a couple of years, um, as an IT person or, or as a CIO, you know, you were really collecting information, you know, stuff on file shares, maybe email, et cetera, et cetera. Right, if you right. look today and you spoke about remote work early on, you know, we now have messaging data. We now have imaging data. We now have IoT data, if you think about that as well. So we've got yeah. all sorts of data that we that we didn't have a couple of years ago that we now need to think of. So, so yes, it is fairly far-reaching. Yeah, I mean, it's just something simple like uh, your CCTV camera footage. That's data. Uh, the, the just records that you. I mean, a simple thing. Those forms that you fill in when you you know your COVID forms and they take your temperature. That is data, and it's in every single business. Now, I know you touched earlier on cybersecurity, and it's something that I'm really passionate about. And you know, monitoring it over the years, you, we've seen you know viruses and cybersecurity really evolve. In fact, our systems have got a lot better. The cybersecurity attacks are on the increase, but yet at the same time, I get the sense that we're not doing it properly yet. Uh, am I wrong or am I right? Is it how, what, what's the what's the landscape like when it comes to cybersecurity? Yeah, okay. The landscape is uh, is interesting, and, and you know, I suppose you can you can read different stats and and different research papers. But in fact, there was one interesting one that said South Africa had the third highest cybersecurity victims in the world last year, which really? is an interesting stat. Very, very interesting. Um, and I think we, we, we're a little bit more prone potentially. Um, it's very interesting. You know, and then globally, if we have a look at it, you know, the global stats saying that we now have hackers making an attempt every 39 seconds. So if you, if you just extrapolate that out, that's over 2,000 attempts a day. Um, so that's massive. And, and uh, you touched on it as well, Lucky, in that these things have become very sophisticated. We are mm. seeing in South Africa today, as an example, that the ransomware that we're finding in some of our customers is actually ransomware that's been written specifically for them as a business or wow. specifically for the individual. Um, yes. And that's 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 very important. The other major thing that is happening, we've often heard about this, but I don't think we've ever really had a way to look at it, is insider risk. You know, the one thing that we're looking at now, especially with Papier around, is is how internally are we managing our data? How is Aki copying something from our corporate network and sticking it on a USB stick? You know, 
was the stuff that he copied um, actually marked as confidential information? And did Aki then come in the next day and resign? Um, we actually now have tools, uh, something like the compliance manager that will actually help you look at these sorts of things. You know, where's my data? How is it flowing? Who's copying it to where? Um, oh, very, really? very interesting. You know, and in many instances, Aki, sometimes the mistakes that people are making, you know, versus the policies of their companies, they're not doing intentionally. Sometimes it's a case of you don't understand the policy correctly. Mm -hmm. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's intentional. But, yeah. you know, as, as you said, things have become very complex. Um, I don't think we're there yet. That's why we talk about intelligent security. So I think that's the way we need to look at our security. What solutions are out there that are going to help me manage this? Um, you know, there's a lot of SIEM products out there now, so security information event management products um, that take all your bits and bobs and put them into a single pane of glass that actually help you and help you automate um, what happens. Um, and yeah. I think that's that's critical. So, I mean, you, you're giving some great advice there and you're scaring a lot of people as well. But if there's an organization watching us talking right now and you say, well, what, what do I do? What are those those pillars? What are the things that I should be doing in my organization to really make sure that the security is, you know, on, on, on form and that I'm not vulnerable? And of course, the big mistake, Colin, that many organizations make, they think, well, we've migrated a lot of stuff into the cloud, so I don't have to worry about security because it's in the cloud and it's already secure. Big mistake. Big mistake, Aki, because, you know, so cloud has its own security, right? But you're also going to be transporting that data in and out of that of that cloud. And that's why that cloud security uh, was so critical. You know, there's a couple of practical things here. And I, we talk about patching, but I think that's still very, very important. You know, there, there are a couple of think, practical things I would say to somebody to go and look at tomorrow. Um, the first thing is to look at those four areas that we spoke about, right? Identity and access management. Go and have a look at how you're doing that and go and have a look yeah. at whether that's in the cloud and you can actually do that across. Now, as we talk about that, I think the one thing that we have to apply nowadays is multi-factor authentication. Absolutely. Uh, Think it's absolutely critical. You know, Microsoft talks about zero trust, and I don't know, I don't know, Aki, if you've ever seen or been exposed to the zero zero trust strategy. But essentially, the strategy and the premise of the strategy is that from the outset you trust nothing or nobody, and that's that's where it starts. Um, but the way zero trust works is it's an integrated approach. So in other words, security is in everything that you do in, and in all the applications that you use. So it's not a bolt-on, and that's critical. Um, that uses adaptive controls. Now, that's even more important because mm. what you want to do is as you potentially have breaches, you want to be able to adaptively change those controls. So let me give you a very good example. Let's say today... I'm logging onto my PC from Johannesburg, and two hours later, my SIEM product picks up the fact that I'm logging onto the same computer from Hong Kong, as an example. Now, we know that that's not possible. What an adaptive control will do will say, hang on, um, I know that Aki can't be in those two places at the same time, so I'm going to now apply a second form of authentication that Aki needs to provide me. That's right. what, we mean, what we mean by an adaptive control, so that's critical. And then the, the third thing, the final thing, is that continuous monitoring through through these signals that I spoke about. So I think multi-factor authentication is absolutely critical. Um, the second thing that I do want to say to people as well is make sure you're still patching. You know, we've been coming a long way around software and patch patching. Um, you, we can have the best AI, the best security. We've got to make sure that we that we are patching um, as we go. I think that remains um, absolutely critical. And I think, Aki, the other thing we need to do is is train our people. Um, mm, you know, mm. COVID, unfortunately, has, has given attackers out there a great way to speak to people from a phishing point of view in a ransomware. And we've seen yeah, a lot absolutely. of that. 
we've got to make sure that we that we that we keep training our people. Uh, you, you you spoke about zero trust earlier, and basically you trust nothing and nobody in an organization. But uh, how, how do how do companies uh, apply it? How, how do you deploy it? How do you say we are going to zero trust policy? So I, I think that that's when we talk about those adaptive controls, Aki. So that uh-huh. what you okay. do is you you work on the premise of of privileged access, a least privileged access, um, and what you want to do is you want to build up from there, right? So as somebody comes in and wants access to a piece of resource, be it a data, whatever it is, you want to apply those adaptive controls. So what is also very important, Aki, is that security has actually gone to the point where in the past it used to be productivity versus security. And yes. that's why we that's why we call that's why we call it an integrated approach because what we want to make sure it's built in and that we're not giving up productivity. We actually in fact want to make sure we make people more productive, but allowing for adaptive controls so that we can control that that access to data or resources a lot better. So I think that's the way it, it, it works. Yeah. That then gives you that integration, gives you that flexibility, builds trust with users as well, but allows you to actually control your environment. And I think that's what's important is that, um, you know, the tools that are available to deploy these things on your network. So, you know, IT managers can see, even if people are working remotely, you're saying that there are tools available that if you put a USB stick into a computer and you've downloaded something onto it, you will be alerted. So you will know in your organization that machine that belongs to you, that's what's just happened. And these tools are available. Correct. Okay, so so three things like... Three things like uh, um, secure score and compliance managers. So secure score actually do that. It actually against the set of principles will actually give yeah. you a score out of a hundred to say, hey, this is your security score. The way we view it. The same thing with compliance manager. In fact, we just released the Poppy template in the compliance manager, so you can actually now look at your at your compliance uh, profile against Poppy uh, through compliance manager. Will actually give you a score out of a hundred and say to you, hey, there's a couple of areas that you need to go and work at. Work at the other technologies we spoke around um, around threat protection. These are all what we call ATP, so advanced threat protection. These are within Office, um, they're within Azure, so all of these technologies exist uh, to be deployed. We've covered so much, Colin. I mean, we've spoken about security, we've spoken about uh, the Popey Act. We've Really, we're living in extraordinary times because if you had gone back to January and I said we would be having these conversations today, I mean, surely we would have had them from a different perspective, but I think everything has been fast-tracked. The way we're doing business, the way staff are interacting with organizations, the remote workplaces is very interesting. And I don't know if we will go back to the way we were before. Um, We may go back to a hybrid model and people are already questioning that you know do you need to travel long distances to 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 have a meeting if you can do it like we're doing it right now over teams for example so i want you to put your your future cap on your thinking cap on colin erasmus and talk about the the remote working workplace uh how has that changed and where is that all going so i wish i had a crystal ball um, it would have been interesting investing in the stock market, um, but I, I think you're. I think you're right. Uh, I believe, and I think we believe as an organisation that I think the new normal is going to be this hybrid model. Um, I think people are going to have that hybrid model between actually working on-prem, working remotely. I don't think that's going to go away. I think we now have that. I think we're going to have that. By the way, Aki, for for the way we live the way we learn, the way we work. I take my, my, my little guy, um, he's at an organization that does remote remote learning. And in fact, they've now actually figured out that 
there are some major benefits to this as well. So I think we're going to live with this hybrid with this hybrid model moving into the future. Um, and I think security is going to become so much more important. And by the way, Aki, I, I believe that intelligent security and these sorts of things can be a massive competitive edge for an organization as well. Um, mm -hmm. You know, remote work we've seen as a as, as a good edge. Um, productivity we've seen go up drastically. You know, we've had lots of questions also about how do we balance this from a cultural point of view? Because I don't know about you, Aki, but I, I, it feels to me like I'm on calls all the time. Um, yeah. You know, that can be good and bad. So we need to look at the human side of that as well, right? You know, um, tell people to take breaks, you know, go and have your lunch hour, whatever it is. But I think, you know, to get back to your question, I do think this hybrid model is here to stay. You know, we, we, we knew that the, you know, the pandemic gave us sort of three notions. Um, the, the, one, the one was that we, we needed to respond. Um, to the crisis, which I think a lot of organizations have done. They've got a lot of these video conferencing. They're now communicating with the people. They need to now make sure they're doing it securely. So that's the one thing. Um, I think we're actually now in the phase where we are actually um, responding um, and I think uh, responding and rebuilding. And I think the next phase for us is going to be that reimagined phase. How do we reimagine moving forward? Like we've reimagined security being intelligent security. A lot of organizations are going to reimagine the, the way they look into the future and, and it will become a competitive, competitive edge in many instances. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You, you, we're talking so much about technology and so much research has been done on, you know, people working from home, et cetera. And they asked them, you know, what what would you do to change? What, what are the things that you really are missing about, up, upon? You know, the technology that they've got is cool, but the most common thing that comes up is a comfortable chair. And a second monitor, you know, they, you know, adding a, a second monitor to multitask and just to do your tasks a lot better. I mean, those kind of things. And we're learning so much about this workplace and we're adapting so fast. And, and at the end of the day, as you correctly said, I, I think we're really questioning the way we were doing things before because we're actually being more productive and more effective uh, doing things. Obviously, the company culture side of things and organizations that like to have people within an organization, I think that hybrid model will sort that particular problem out, but we're actually functioning pretty well. And um, if you just look back, uh, the timing of Microsoft's data centers in, in the country and the fact that you've got all these tools like OneDrive and that all in the cloud, I mean, could you have imagined if this had happened five years ago. Yeah, and, and it's interesting. I mean, looking at our CEO, Sacha, I mean, Sacha Nadella actually said, you know, four or five months ago, I think he said this, he said that we've actually seen um, two years worth of digital transformation in a period of two months, wow. which is, which is, Truly, if you think about it, which is which is what we've what what we've experienced. So, look, I don't think anybody would have potentially foreseen it. Look, a lot of organisations were on a digital transformation journey already. Um, they were. You know, I think it has sped up fairly significantly. Um, but but yes, I think uh, you know having the data centres, I think, has helped us in many instances. You know, really responding to our customers' demands around things like latency and being able to put their data in South Africa. So I think that's uh, that's been phenomenal news and. and great news as well so look i think our new normal lucky as you put it is that we're going to be in this hybrid model and i think uh, more to come technology is exceptionally exciting it has always been um and i think uh, i think it's going to go from strength to strength as long as we're doing it securely colin erasmus the uh, modern workplace business group lead 
You've got such a cool title there, Modern Workplace Business Group Lead for Microsoft South Africa. Colin, it's always good to chat to you and uh, open up your mind and let me know, let me in on what your thinking is. I've learned so much talking to you. Thank you for your time. Aki, thank you very much.